The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right. It's that time again. More questions, more answers. The Sour Hour Brewing Network. Part two of the question. <laughs> what? That was I'm a smiling. funny intro. I'm amused. I'm amused by your intro. I love it. You're like, Jay, I've been in this business a long time. You don't know what you're doing. No, right that now. was great. That could be like that could be the regular intro. Your questions, it, our answers, this? the yeah. sour hour. You just need to learn to lock out. I'm Jay Goodwin. You know what and lock, then you that, out Then is? you leave that pause there. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like what you like newscasters, you know? Like live on the scene here in Miami where the hurricane has destroyed everything. I'm Jay Goodwin. I'm Stormy Branches. <laughs> or whatever. Rain or shine. name. Yeah. yeah. You know how they have like uh, porn name uh, generators? Yes. This will maybe a little too close to the top of the show to mention porn. What is it? It's like you're like you're the street you grew up on and your dog's name or something like that. Middle name or yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, they should have weatherman and, weatherman. and woman. Uh, meteorologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, name generators. Totally. That'd be pretty cool. There's a, I don't know if you watch Modern Family, but mm-hmm. the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that, what uh, I was trying to think of that Haley guy's name. Is a Rainer Shine. Rainer. R-A-I-N-E-R is his first name, Rainer. I like Modern Family. It's <laughs> a really good show. Great show. Yeah. Yes, if you're not watching it, it's a, a one of the few network shows I watch, and it's really excellent. Yeah, and they said, like, uh, you know, what was so special about the show? And then they said, nothing. It's just well done. Right. Like, there's nothing special about the story. It's just a sitcom, standard formula. Just that's it. Perfectly executed. Exactly. That, that's all it takes. Is it's really the people involved. It's it's never the format. As I remember Adam Carolla saying all the time back in the day, they would always ask him and Doctor Drew, "What's the what's the magic of the formula?" He's like, "Nothing. We just roll calls. It's the people. They just get along too. It's just us. You know, yeah, they it's can the just riff. Yeah, sort exactly. of like us. Hmm? It just it just no. Flows but I'm saying that I like okay. <laughs> Welcome to the. <laughs> Here with Scott, if you can tell. Thank you. We actually do have a format thing, though, because we don't just we don't just do generic whatever. We actually have a niche, so it kind of mm-hmm. goes out the window. We you know we we stick our personal thoughts and feelings in there. I feel like I, I guess we I just, just did a couple minutes on Modern Family yes, right, at the right. top of the show. Yeah, and, and porn. weathermen, meteorologists, <laughs> nicknames. Oh boy, can we start over? Yeah, sure. Wait, what's oh, that? That's the end of the song. Ooh, that oh, sounds that's really awful. Bad. Yeah, that's awful. Should we, should we end the show? <laughs> this is the end of the song. Much worse than oh, the uh, beginning of the song. Re- this is what it sounds like when an alien gets murdered on a UFO. being investigated (laughs) (laughs) yikes i've I've always long faded it out by that point wow always learning something new here on the sour hour welcome back uh (laughs) participate in this nonsense you can call us 888-41-BEER join us in the chat 
email us, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Give him some props for the great music he's been playing. He got a little a little note in the in between the, right. uh, the show break for some of the great songs he's been uh, he's been playing. So keep that up. You know that encourages him. He, Thank he, you, guys. Guys, he needs this. He needs this. I live on it. <laughs> yeah, you know it was actually you do particularly like it. You uh, like being the the show DJ, and I do. It's fun. I'm going to include it on the on the uh, previous show. So if you're listening to this on your iPod uh, player, you will have already heard the previous show, and I will have left in Christmas time in the LBC, mm-hmm. recorded by Jimmy Kimmel long before he was Jimmy Kimmel the from Jimmy Late Kimmel. Night. Yep, he, this was back when he was just on the K Rock Morning Show. In Jimmy LA. the sports guy. Jimmy that's the sports what they guy. used to call him Scott. That's right. In the uh, mid '90s, and uh, yeah, I don't know how you knew that, Jay, but that's impressive. <laughs> he just pulled that right out of your rear I got head. That. Yep. But anyway, so. Uh, uh, James, our the uh, small barrel um, James Shamus, Shamus, remember James? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he, he wrote in in the uh, middle of the shows and was like, uh, hey, his, <laughs> his note is, Christmas time in the LBC is as amazing as any single sour beer lesson I've ever learned from the Sour Hour, and I, I believe him. That's a little bit of a shot, but okay, yeah, I'll take well, it. <laughs> now, think of it as a compliment to Jimmy Kimmel and his genius. Yeah, yeah. I'm up there on, uh, on the same pedestal as old Jim, James as I call him, <laughs> yeah. other James. I'll be okay. Jimmy's great. Yeah. Moving along. Moving along. Uh, <laughs> speaking of reasons to listen live and watch us, is you can uh, hear those awkward pauses that Scott usually edits out <laughs> after the show. Uh, you can watch us, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV, or listen to us live. The Brewing Network app, search BN Mobile. <laughs> I'm leaving that one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, on uh, iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, you can subscribe and leave feedback on that. Now, do you want to do this again? the iTunes feedback? Yeah, oh, we need to do a review of the week. Okay. Insert theme music here. Okay. We'll, we'll pause for that and post. <laughs> kind of okay. like the music where you come on down and the price is right, you know? <laughs> review of the week. <laughs> Can you just do that as a bed for me? Um, okay, so <laughs> I'll keep this one. This one is uh, super, super short, and it is uh, titled Jay is the Man. Hey. It's from DIY Toolkits, and the the review is Scott is too. Okay, I like that. That's it. That's uh, the review of that. And there has been the review of the week. I reject that for only. Uh, it does not meet one of the two criteria. One <laughs> is session. Please oh. give us five stars. Well, we may not deserve it, but it helps uh, other people find the show, and we like it. It makes us happy. And two, yeah, make fun of the session. The, well, the, we're going to run out of reviews of the week right quick because there's only a handful that deal with the session. There's a whole bunch of reviews, That's true. but yeah. the vast majority of them came but before the new, you ever said anything about the session. I, we said it, we teased it a little bit in a, eight episodes ago. Yeah, sure, but I don't. And think then we emphasized seriously. it yeah. like in the last four or five. So I want that you know the snowball to turn into the avalanche. So, <laughs> right. but thank you all of you for uh, the feedback before this gimmick to get you to give us feedback. Uh, <laughs> Before and after that. Uh, okay. What do I want to start with here, Scott? I would like to first thank... <laughs> Got a lot to talk about. There's, uh, as always, people are very generous in sending in beer for us. And uh, Jeremy over there at uh, Nishamini Creek Brewing. God, I hope I didn't butcher that. Pennsylvania? But, uh, in Pennsylvania. Yep. Jeremy sent over a very generous care package for us of a uh, whole bunch of big boy bottles, a variety of beers, and they, uh, the branding is awesome, and the beers are awesome, and we just wanted to thank Jeremy 
for uh, sending that out. And uh, we have uh, some more beer in here as well that is commercial beer, but it is packaged in a homebrewy fashion because I believe it is. <laughs> I believe it's an initial run of, of oh. sours from this brewery. So we're is gonna, it rare? Uh, it looks rare. Is it a trademark infringement? No, no. Oh, okay. I think it is. I think it's. I think it's one of a kind. Great. I do believe. But anyway, we'll get to that uh, later in the show. But just wanted to thank uh, Jeremy and Nishamani Creek for sending that out. Cool. So you didn't mention what that brewery was. The rare. We're teasing that out. We're going to tease it. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it later. Out. A little later in the show. That's a pro move, there, Scott. I'm Scott Moskowitz. Okay, that's, uh, that's a lot of jibber jabber. Let's answer some stuff. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about sour beer, Scott. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's start with a uh, an unusual barrel question. I hope is the title of his email. This is from uh, Sigborn. I'm sorry if I feel like I'm butchering a lot of stuff in these shows, but uh, he's writing from uh, Nor- he's a, he's from Norway, but he's writing from Kiev, Ukraine. He says, hey, guys, wow. thanks for a brilliant show. As I am currently posted on a diplomatic mission in Ukraine for a few years, I am. Uh, this is from a year ago, by the way, so he's definitely still there. I am rarely able to brew, so I cope by splitting every batch this way and that, mostly during fermentation. No need for details, but mostly clean beers, a couple of 100% Brett beers, and a couple of otter ones since I came here. They uh, let you brew with otters there? Yeah, I think they, I thought it was only seals in that area of the world, but anyway. Dad joke slam dunk. <laughs> That's where you need to learn to lock out. I'm Jay Goodwin. I'm Jay Goodwin. Thank you. Uh, He says, I will also do Kvass. What is that? K-V-A-S-S? Oh, yeah. I never remember what that is. Kvass is a traditional Slavic and Baltic fermented beverage commonly made from black or regular rye bread. The color Uh. of the bread uses... (laughs) uh, Okay, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I started making bread at home. Bread. And uh, bringing some bread loaves and throw them in the mash. No kidding. Well, I don't I'm, know if that's exactly how you make it, but. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the first sentence. So this is, I'm reading from Wiki. That sentence was from Wiki. It goes on. The color of the bread used contributes to the color of the resulting drink. It is classified as a non-alcoholic drink by Russian standards, as the alcohol <laughs> content from the fermentation is typically below 1%. Oh, I thought you were going to say 5%. <laughs> that is not beer. This is not alcohol. Uh, okay, anyway, that's Kvass, and uh, our friend Sigborn is brewing some. Anyway, he says, cool. he says, I thought I should take the opportunity of getting a small oak barrel or two, since they are very decently priced here, and see what I could be able to do with those. So his questions are there for, there's a couple of them. One, what are the ups and downs of getting a completely new barrel, and how should it be treated? So let's just, we've talked about that so let's just very very briefly sum that up completely new means just oak the bare wood uh, it's been probably toasted so it hasn't seen wine or anything like that so that means you're going to get very impactful oak flavor and depending on the size to volume ratio so that means is it a five gallon oak barrel and you put in five gallons of beer or is it a full 59 gallon typical wine barrel size oak barrel Uh, and you're going to fill it up with 59 gallons, you're going to see a dramatic difference there. Although I believe both on their own will probably be pretty overwhelming in character and intensity, unless it's just a really short contact time or you treat the inside of the barrel beforehand. Uh, So that's kind of the general character character of a, a brand new oak barrel. Did he go on from there? Or? Yes, he did. Uh, now, the, the second question is, he said, this is the sort of rarer part, I think. I have the choice of getting barrels with either traditional staves or barrels made out of oak that is crushed, quote-unquote, and then pressed into shape, I assume. 
I uh, have never heard of the latter and would be interested in hearing your thoughts on the alternatives. The crushed ones are actually a fair bit more expensive, though still cheap by European standards. So either one is within my price range. He said the 150 liter variety is actually only a bit more than like 100 bucks US, but that's too much to handle. So have you ever heard of what he possibly is talking about? Crushed oak pressed into shape? Uh, No, but even though he's in the Ukraine, he can join the AHA and get... The Wooden Beer Book, A Brewer's Guide. Ah, there you go. By Peter Buchart and Dick Cantwell. And, you know, they go over probably all that stuff. I'm sure. If it ex- if this is what, in fact, because he doesn't sound like he's sure. Oak. I've never heard of that. And then he mentioned 150 liter. Is that right? That's right. That seems like that's a little more than a half size typical oak barrel. So maybe that's 35, 40 gallons or something like that. It's about, yeah, 40 gallons. Even though it's a little bit bigger than kind of a typical uh, homebrew small barrel, and you know we just talked about James emailing us in the in the show break, you know definitely reference his show Homebrewer's Guide to using specifically small barrels, but he you know talks about a different range of sizes and how to troubleshoot those. And he's, he has a bunch of different beers going, right? He said he has a lot of regular beers, some 100% yeah. Brett stuff. He's mostly clean beers, he says, but yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. I'd say cycle some of your regular beers through there a few times. You know, uh, first one. A week, second one, two weeks, third one, a month, fourth one, three months. You're going to strip out that oak character as you go. You can use heated water or steam if you want to use that to strip out some of the oak or some of the uh, oak barrel chemicals we've mentioned along the way on the show if you want to dampen it down a little bit. But generally, I'd go for shorter contact time and probably bigger, bolder base beers that don't require extended aging. You know, I'd start Imperial Stout, you know, mm-hmm. barley wine Yep. for a short period of time. Taste it, you know, drill the nail hole in there, take some samples every once in a while, extract just as much as you want, and then be ready to fill it with another pretty big beer. And if you're, hopefully you're listening to this now, and now's the time kind of of the year to brew the bigger beers. So, um, and that'll age out well in the bottle too. Let's say you extract too many tannins, you know, you can sit the bottles down for a while and you've extracted that oak flavor, and they'll probably improve over time as well. So that's what I'd do. Well, thanks for writing in, Sigborn, and good luck out there in the Ukraine, and please send us follow-up and let us know uh, what you did. Definitely. Another way you could go with it is uh, you just throw some wine in there, you know? How about that? Sure. Because that's what winemakers want. They want the fresh oak barrel, and I know you're in Ukraine, but (laughs) really what you should do is go to the Wine and Hop shop at (laughs) wineandhop.com. Scott. Yeah. Uh, they're carrying Omega Yeast and Giggies, but you can also get wine starter kits. So that's what I think Sigborn, that was the name right? Mm-hmm, I think so. Uh, should do. And guess what? Probably, well, maybe not if you're international, but we could look it up. We could talk to them about this. The shipping rate. Maybe a special rate for you. Yeah. Most times they're going to ship within 24 hours. Probably not you. <laughs> Domestic. <laughs> this is not working out as well as I thought. <laughs> Uh, they're going to ship within 24 hours. Best of all, other BN listeners are going to get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. Just enter B and wine starter kit, maybe. It's yeah. probably on the edge there. Yeah. Right? Sure. They'll tell you. It's got to be less. Got to be less. Yeah. Enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. And you know, Scott, hmm. I've been really thinking about maybe making a little batch of wine. You know? Really? Yeah, just try it out. I've been fermenting a bunch of different stuff lately. I like that most things that you ferment aren't really as hard as sour beer. I think sour beer might might be one of the harder fermented products to make. 
and that's kind of, you know, the day job, what I talk about on this show. So I've mentioned before, maybe I've gotten into hot sauce, started making some kombucha, mm-hmm. started doing some sourdough bread. All of this stuff, very relaxing, very fun, because I feel like it's not quite as complicated. Sure. Or maybe it's not quite as complicated yet. And maybe sourdough bread's one that can get that complicated. But um, wine is something I've never gotten into, but I want to. And every time I think about it, I'm like, if I do... I'm going to get it from wine and hop for sure. Good call. Well, and you know the if you do, if you brew or not brew but uh, make whatever your first batch of wine and you, uh, you really fall in love with it, you don't even have to change the name of your company. <laughs> Very barrel focused, that's yeah. for sure. And you know, for the rare barrel, another one of the sponsors that I was and legitimately like it'd be great to get this product is the I dip. Right. Because I mean, just getting all that information on water is. It just makes it such a complicated subject so much easier. You can start to understand things, Mm -hmm. how water can change over time also. Because with some places, seasonality, the uh, city or county, they may switch the water on you. This is applicable to homebrewers too. Totally. They might go from one source to another, especially here in California with our drought. They've been switching sources all over the place. So this is going to give you kind of consistent, easy results. It's for home or commercial use. Uh, for those who don't know, it is a water testing kit, which incorporates a revolutionary both photometer and photometer, Scott, both, which is the first and only on the market with its own app. It's very advanced. The iDip can f- perform over 40 different water quality tests for things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much, much more. <laughs> Podcast listeners should enter code TBN10, that's TBN10, at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology a part of your brewing process. Visit www.smartbrewkit.com just in time for Christmas and Hanukkah. I'm Jay Goodwin. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, that's that's a really cool piece of equipment, and I'm going to get 10 bucks off. Man. I'll probably go advanced. I'm kind of a gadget guy. Yeah. So it's like if you give me, oh, here's the standard or here's the advanced, I'm like, oh, got to get the advanced, right? I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's going to be great when, uh, when like, I dip for news and they're like, yeah, man, we just kept getting the same IP address, just ordering and ordering and ordering. It's like our own hosts doing it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're self-supporting here on the Brewing Network. Yeah, bidding it up. It's good stuff. It's good to be, you know, supportive of the sponsors and have that reciprocal relationship. Right, and exactly. We love our sponsors here. Hey, uh, bartender Aaron's in here. Aaron, do you have you hit up the uh, Brewing Network sponsors? No. Just say yes, man. <laughs> just, what, is it, what harm would it do to just be like, yeah, I sure have. And I use the coupon code every time. I'm Aaron Lopez. See? That's not on. No, forget you it. Got, <laughs> I'm sure you got your homebrew all tagged up with grog tags. Yeah, because you, you, you do plenty of homebrewing. You, you, you don't use the grog tags. You don't bring those uh, stupid uh, 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 plain uh, brown bottles with your beer in it, do you? No. What do you do? Slap a label uh, from Grog Tag. There you go. All right. Learning quickly. You know, with Grog Tag, you never again have to worry about bottle nudity. Fully customizable, reusable labels ready to peel and stick on just about any surface. They don't stop there, no. Grog Tag also offers an assortment of products that you can customize at your home bar. With custom coasters, metal signs, and tap handles, Grog Tag will make sure your entire family wants to try your beer. Use code DECEMBER16. That's D-E-C-16. DEC16, that's the code, and take off 10% of your next order on grogtag.com. They don't want the www. No? no? Okay. Fine. Okay. Just go to grogtag.com. Where are we at? Do we have time for. 
No, I want to get to this guy's beer. So let's, uh, and I want to get to your beer too. I want to go get another rare barrel okay. pour out there. So one quick thing yeah. before I forget, because I will. Sour collaboration with Brandon Jones from Yazoo. Yes. We posted a Google forum to Milk the Funk. Go check it out. Just some basic stuff, but keep looking at that for more updates. We're going to be asking a ton more questions of you guys, and I'll have uh, a lot more to talk about that on the next show because we're just starting to collect all those responses. So we'll do a, a more thorough update then, but just wanted to throw that out there. Crowdsource Sour. Crowdsource Sour with uh, our good friend Brandon Jones of Yazoo. Well, that's a little cold voice. Brandon Jones. <laughs> Brandon Jones of Yazoo and Embrace the Funk. But we have so much more to get to tonight. Take a break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, guys, what'll it be? I'm not sure. What do you recommend? A lot of people seem to like the Hefeweizen. Is that a German Hefeweizen or more of an American-style wheat beer? I'm not sure, but I can give you a taste. Okay, great. Great. The Cicerone Certification Program certifies and educates beer professionals in order to elevate the beer experience for consumers. Unfortunately, not every bar is staffed with certified beer servers who can guide their customers through a beer list. Here you go, guys. Let me know what you think of the Hefeweizen. Yeah, that's definitely more of an American meat. But I can hardly tell because this beer just smells like sour butter. I wonder how long it's been since they cleaned the draft line. Yeah, and look at the bubbles on the side of the glass. It's filthy. Somebody should tell these guys about the Cicerone program. For sure. How about we head somewhere else for another beer? Your server should give beer the same respect you do. Request quality. The Cicerone certification program offers four levels of beer certification, in-person classes, and course books for beer professionals. Check them out at Cicerone.org. The Cicerone Certification Program. We know beer. All right. We're back on the Sour Hour. I want to thank another one of our great sponsors, Oregon Fruit Products. Their aseptic purees are easy to use and convenient to store, Scott. Yeah. Do you need to go check the phone to no, talk for a while? Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, you're I, sitting I, uncomfortably. I'm, just, I'm, I'm dreaming of Oregon fruit is what I'm doing, and I'm distracted. Me too. They have no additives. That's probably why you're dreaming of them. Or artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers to help us innovate. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit, La Haim. <laughs> love it. So should we do some questions brought to us by SourBeerBlog.com? Yeah. Look at their new article on the Sour Beer Brewing Day. Indeed. Thanks, Dr. Lambic. Thanks, Dr. Lambic. And, uh, Dr. you know what? Uh, I didn't even get a chance to really ask the, the fellow on the phone. I didn't get a chance to ask him who he is or where he's from or what his question is. Oh. So I'm going to go Bebo style and uh, just... We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Hello. Hey, dude. Thanks for calling, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good, man. Sorry I didn't get a chance to ask you your name and stuff off the air there. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Stu. I'm calling from Burbank. Oh, I was just in Burbank. All right. Cool. What's going on? Oh, well, now I feel silly. One of them's not important at all. I wanted to know what that <laughs> outro song you guys play is for the Sour Hour because it just gets me amped as shit. You know what? That's very important, and I'm glad you asked. Exogenesis? <laughs> is that right? I think that's right. Scott, Scott's looking it up right now. What's your, what's your other question? My other question was... Um, and this might be really silly, but I just started, I tried my first kettle sour beer um, a couple months back, and I just pitched uh, lacto, like, uh, right into the, the wort after I boiled it for, you know, 
uh, like 48 hours and then let it sour up and then boiled it and killed all that. I was just curious if anyone's tried or if you guys knew if it would be disgusting or might add like more complexity if you pitched like lacto and pedio basically in like a controlled environment and then let that go for maybe a few days and then boiled it to kill the bacteria and then pitched like a regular saccharomyces to finish off fermentation kind of like a kettle sour but adding pdo as well because i hadn't seen anything like that online yeah i think we touched on that on just barely on one of the last shows um i don't see anything wrong with it but i also haven't heard of a lot of people doing it uh, at least commercially i'm sure there's homebrewers out there who have done it um i think it'll probably produce lactic acid faster some acetic acid as well but it also may produce more diacetyl which may be something to concern yourself with but one thing about your uh, your process so you put in the lacto after did you heat up the wort at all or is it just at the regular temperature that you ran off so i i mashed uh ran it off and then boiled for 15 minutes and then cooled it down to like 98 and then transferred it and kept that steady temperature and pitched lacto into that after flushing the headspace with CO2. Right on. And then how did that turn out? It turned out good. I, I liked it. Was it. What was the acidity level? Did you, were you happy with uh, how tart it was? Yeah, I went. I, I was going for something really mild because I, I ended up adding like six pounds of peaches and stuff like that. And uh, it wasn't real acidic after, I think, like 36 hours maybe. But I was, I, I'm content with that. I feel like if I did it again, just let it run for full two days and it'd be nice and sour great yeah i'm glad it worked out uh i think the the addition of pedia wouldn't buy you that much com- that much complexity potentially you know if it if that that technique was developed enough maybe you could see a faster souring i mean you know when we talk about kettle souring we're talking a day two days three days it's a long time to fight off oxygen so if pediococcus can accomplish that faster then maybe that'd be a great thing for both home and commercial brewers but otherwise i don't you know if you're looking for additional complexity i'm not sure you'll really get it out of uh, the addition of pdo uh, either with lacto or just pdo alone in your kettle souring process but uh, as i mentioned before i've never kettle sour beer and certainly haven't done this either so it's all speculative on my part but that's that's what I guess would happen. But uh, to answer your first question, second Scott. Yeah, it is called. Uh, it's it's Exogenesis by the Fat Rat. Nice. Sick. I know I've heard it before, and uh, yeah, I was like, man, I just want to look it up right now. Well, it's totally a great song, and uh, no, n- let well let us be the judge of of what's important and what's not. So, any question you guys want to call yeah, in with, it's for totally sure. fine. Especially we found music. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, man. Uh, all right. So let's go right to uh, outgoing call action and see if we can get our friend from Pie Brewing on the line. This is another uh, some more beer that we got in from Greg. Hello. Hey, Greg. It's the Sour Hour. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going good. We wanted to uh, taste a couple of these beers with you here uh, on the air and go through some of our uh, impressions with you if you got a few minutes. Oh, definitely. Oh, it's great. A surprise, but let's do it. Hey, we're two for two on the outgoing calls, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to go. It's great. <laughs> that's awesome. So what we had uh, we had beer open already, Scott, and that's the uh, the the dry hop one? Yeah, that is. And then we also, the and then the dark sour with cherries. Uh, Greg, which one should we start with? Or which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's see. Let's go with the uh, the darker one. It's a little, a little maltier, a little more mild. So tell us about how you made that's this beer. That's going to be with... Yeah, so that got a uh, kettle sour on the front end, lacto. And then from there, we went over to 
a USO5 fermentation on stainless for a couple of weeks, left a little bit of residual sugar behind on the on the primary fermentation, and then we sent it over to barrels okay. with uh, Brett Pedio and Lacto. When you're planning out this beer and thinking about what you wanted to make, were you kind of deliberate and thinking, we're going to kettle sour this first and then add, uh, you know, kind of a mixed culture with PDO and Lacto in the barrel afterwards? Or was it something along the way where maybe the kettle sour uh, didn't react exactly how you planned and then you decided to age it out a little longer? No, no, it, it was um, it was planned as such. Uh, I wanted a little bit tighter control on the overall process. So I went with a kettle sour to kind of establish the the sour quality up front the way I kind of wanted it. And mm-hmm. then also to somewhat decrease the amount of time that it had to go into oak before I could finish it up and serve it. Gotcha. And what was the, in, in your eyes, the character of the beer when it was a kettle soured beer that had gone through primary fermentation before going to the barrel? And then after that, what character do you think it developed while it was in the barrel or and now in the bottle for a certain amount of time? What I noticed is after after just a kettle souring, it had a low pH. I'm, I, I don't have the notes in front of me, but approximately 3.4. Uh, so it definitely had a, a sour snap to it. But it was really raw, like if that makes any sense. It was just like sour. Mm-hmm. Not very much uh, character. After going through additional fermentation with USO5 to establish some alcohol, and then going into the barrels with the Brett Pedialacto mix, fruit additions, so on and so forth, coming out of the barrel, the sourness didn't necessarily change in terms of pH, but it seemed like it had just more character overall. Now I'm, I'm tasting it now along with you guys, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it's a got, really nice it's beer. It's got some nice character it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than kind of enjoying it. I'm definitely enjoying it. It's great. It's got a nice like sort of chocolate, sort of silky chocolate vanilla notes, too, along with the the uh, the tart character it blends together really nice. It's a nice beer. Hey, I don't think we even did we mention yeah. Greg where where you're uh, you're from? It's a pie brewing company in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And is this your first run of sour stuff? Yeah, so pie brewing Albuquerque, New Mexico. That is correct. We're a smaller outfit, of course. Pie. Uh, we've been around a couple of years, and we started early in 2016, kind of going down the path of sours. Something we wanted to do for quite some time, but we just we just never got around to it until early this year and i have to say some of the inspiration and overall ideas kind of came from running across the sour hour podcast and kind of gave me like the inspiration to like just do it so we started just making some sour beers and we've done oh a couple few passes through the barrels at this point of the year and we're we're pretty happy with them overall Nice, yeah, and we've just uh, opened up your, your the second uh, beer here, which is the Amarillo Dry Hop one. But actually, right before we get into that, yeah, the uh, ADHD Amarillo Dry Hop, and it's got pulled away I'm right sorry. before I was finished reading the and label. Delectable, <laughs> delicious, delightful, delicious, delicious. Okay. Delicious. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about how, how do you find? I know you're saying this is your first run at it, but. You've gone through a summer in New Mexico making sour beer. Do you find that challenging with temperatures? It's something we talked about uh, on the last Q and A show. Do you, you know, you're in New Mexico? How's the winter, the lows of the winter and the peaks of the summer? How does that work out for you? So we have a we have a smallish barrel program, say ten barrels, 
they are cared for very nicely. They get inside conditions, air conditioned. Temperatures seem to stay about, oh, 60 degrees to 75 degrees indoors. So they're air conditioned and our humidity is relatively constant. They're, they're not exposed to the temperature swings that might exist outdoors. And we're, we're trying this uh, Amarillo Dry Hop beer, which I really enjoy. You mentioned you're tasting along with us, and this is your first go-through. Right? And, we're, you know, we have these right. bottles in, in front of us. Are these beers going to bottles? Do you have plans for, you know, packaging on these? Or what's, what's, what's the status of kind so, of your sour beers getting out there? So what, what we're doing is um, basically going from oak barrels once they kind of reach maturity, or at least what I perceive to be maturity. I'm sure they could use a little more time in the barrels, but... We've kind of got to get them on a handle at some point. So what I'll do is I'll rack from the barrel off into a mixing vessel, say a bright tank. And from there, we'll kind of let it uh, clarify for a couple of weeks. And then we'll send it into kegs at that point. We are not doing much bottling because we're really not set up for it. So we're pouring most all of our sour beers off of our handles here at the brewery. Gotcha. So yeah. we've got also now your red raspberry one open. What's... Uh... What's, oh, been, sure. what's been your experience kind of starting off with these different beers? And do you, do you have a favorite of kind of what you sent us out? Yeah, or what, what, what have you been excited about? Before you That's answer, quick, quickly, uh, this is my favorite thing here about um, the fact that he maybe used this podcast as an inspiration, is that I think he maybe took inspiration from the Rare Barrels naming schemes, too. Oh, not because, again. Oh, yes, because this beer is called the Zinister Dichotomy, which really kind of sounds Rare barrel That's just a solid name. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. It, it may sound a little Rare Barrel-ish, indeed. <laughs> so this one is... Uh, Believe it or not, this was the first sour beer we ever did back in, I believe it was February of this year. So this is about the oldest beer we've got, Zenister Dichotomy. It's been done for quite some time as far as, you know, as far as the beers we produce that are sour. That's a long time for us. And uh, I would have to say my favorite, you know, it's a toss-up. I, the Zenister Dichotomy, I'm really liking where it went. It's got some nice, uh, you know, fruit snap to it. It's kind of got a, a nice little fresh raspberry thing going on. But uh, I don't know, this, this Amarillo dry hop is, is right there with it because um, I'm an IPA guy deep down, and this is kind of, you know, my first foray into sour beers. Well, it's an excellent first shot, absolutely, Definitely. across the board. And one thing that I believe we talked about, and this will uh, make more sense when the you listen to the podcast back, right, assuming that you haven't been listening live this whole time, but on the last show at, at the top, we kind of talked about how at the beginning of the sour hour, you know, we talked about some new breweries making sour beers and how to encourage bacteria so your first sour beers aren't, they're, they're tart enough, and when you age them, you're not waiting too long for bacteria to activate, and then developing acetic acid off flavors and blah, blah, blah. But what I like about these beers is, you know, that they're very well balanced, and uh, I guess just hearkening back to where you are at with this being your first run of the sour beers and kind of what we learn on the show and have seen from other sour breweries is that, you know, you talked about controlling the pH with kettle souring up front. I think that's a great tool to have in your tool belt. You know, I would encourage you to definitely keep track of how strong your bacteria are getting because the, you know, Scott and I talked about how the first run of the rare barrel beers were we let the bacteria be encouraged to propagate and influence the beer. And then maybe the second Mm -hmm. turn, you know, 
they were getting a little too strong. And now on the third turn, we're kind of adjusting and saying, you know, how do we limit the strength? How do we live in a world where the bacteria are way too strong? You built up your concentrate too effectively. Yeah, the first year was all like, hey, let's help these guys out. And then it was like, oh, no, these are, you know, they've become too powerful than mm-hmm. we can possibly imagine. And then swinging back, you know, how do we stop them? So <laughs> and, it's something that you've got to keep in mind for sure. I will say that's a, a good point you raise. One of the benefits of, of doing sour beers the way we've done it with this, you know, mixed fermentation where we have a kettle sour and then we, you know, basically in effect kill the bacteria before we send them to stainless is it seems to, at least what I've seen in our barrels is we, we seem to be keeping control of the, of the lacto where a majority of the souring occurs in the kettle, I guess. It doesn't seem to let the lacto get too far out of, out of whack in the barrels because most of the souring is achieved in the kettle then we send it to primary, then to barrels. There are lacto in the barrels, but maybe because we don't leave them in the barrels quite as long as some places, we don't seem to have issues with our, our pH dropping much below, say, 3.2 to 3.4 seems to be our overall range. Yeah, that makes sense. And what what are the range? I guess you mentioned you started this program earlier this year, but I guess I don't know when you started to serve these beers. What's the average age of the, the beers you're making in this way? The average seems to be about three and a half to the, the range, I will say, seems to be about three and a half to five and a half months before we serve them off of a handle. Gotcha. That makes sense. You're doing, you know, the, the souring up front, getting a little barrel aging character to drive some complexity, but just a, you know, a, a really unique and different process. Definitely. Like really exciting stuff. Pie Brewing Company, Albuquerque. Quickly, how have they been moving ac- uh, across the counter there? Your, your patrons liking it? You know, it's an interesting thing. We're not a big sour town. Uh, Albuquerque is a big IPA town, but the sour beers here are very well received and they seem to be doing well overall. We are encouraged by the sales and we are looking forward to kind of branching out and continuing the barrel program. Awesome. Absolutely. New Mexico is a great beer state, not just per capita, but overall. There are a lot of great breweries out there and excited to come out and try your guys' beer in person one day. Me too. And uh, Greg, we really appreciate you sending these in, man. That's really cool. All right. There you go. Thanks, so, uh, commercial beer and homebrewed beer and Everybody, It's just a listener. Beer. Listener beer. Yeah. Love you know? it. And, I mean, I don't know if he... Did he say he started the program because us? It was close to well, that. Well, you know... I, I mean... It, I don't think, it wasn't not that. I don't think anyone starts a program because of us, but I think, you know, he's saying... I mean, brewers are inquisitive by nature, and they want to learn more about stuff. I think now, in this era of sour beer making, there's just more tools. And if we're just one of those that that spurs people on to have the confidence to dive in, then that's awesome. But, yeah, I wouldn't (laughs) think we need to take any uh, sole responsibility or anything like that, especially if the beer goes bad. Right. Not (laughs) not everyone. Vinny said this year's beatification was was solely due to us. Oh, yeah. He did say that. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Scott, I've lost all track of time and space. Yeah. What are we doing? (laughs) We're going to take one more break. Okay. So this is the second segment of the second show of tonight in time and space. (laughs) We'll come back. And you're there and I'm here. In theory. That's so, I don't even, that's so meta. I mean, you just blew my mind. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll come back and we'll do a couple more questions on this uh, Q&A show. <laughs> that was not well received in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> the peanut gallery hated it. All right. Fine. All right. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Starting a brewery is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's definitely a labor of love. If you're 
not going to give it 100%, don't bother. Brewers Publications is proud to present the Brewers Association Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery by Elysian Brewing's Dick Cantwell. Business plans, financing, sustainability, and more. This book takes you through the planning and execution needed to turn the dream of craft brewing into a reality. Whether you want to open a brew pub or a packaging brewery, learn the professional side of ingredients, wastewater, quality, and how to build the craft brewery of the future. The Brewers Association Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery, available now from Brewers Publications and BrewersPublications.com. Wrapping up. Speaking of back, Kevin just walked back in after saying goodbye. That's kind of rude. Cuddles back in uh, super late night. Why are you back? I miss you guys. Oh, okay, we miss good you answer, too, buddy. Back on the sour hour. Wrapping up our uh, Q and A doubleheader. Wanted to mention other BN shows, oh. which are sometimes fun. Yeah, sometimes oh, sorry, no, they're either terrible or great. Right. I forgot. <laughs> uh, I won't say which is which. Brew Strong, Doctor Homebrew, Brewing with Style, and the Sushi. Your cold I'm not saying which one's one. which. You right, know. of course. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Let's get some questions. And All right. Sounds good. All right. Let's get to Aaron McNeil's question, uh, who writes in and says, I'm listening live for, from Tampa, but didn't want to go off subject. This is from a few weeks ago, so he must have wrote this in. What was no, so he's a liar. <laughs> liar, Aaron <laughs> McNeil. Uh, he says, I was wondering uh, how the Solera brewing process goes. I listened to the episode with Chase, uh, Chase Healy from American Psycho, but you guys never covered the process. <laughs> American Solera. Sorry. Uh, he, we never covered the process. Did we not cover the process? It's possible we didn't cover the process. Okay. So how does the Solera brewing process go? I'm also not sure that like every beer Chase makes at American Solera is Solera, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think we did discuss uh, Tim Clifford's process of his Solera on Sante, uh, Sante Adarius, mm-hmm. which is show three or something like that. That's, yep. Two, three, four, yep. something like that. Basically, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I think there's a more traditional way to do it in certain... Um, Wine, maybe even some, I guess not spirits, but wine in traditional beer making where you remove a certain percentage, certain parts or certain numbers of years. But basically what a lot of American brewers, new commercial brewers and home brewers are doing is just removing all the constraints of that. It's not as typical as like if you want to call something goose then or like made by the method a goose maker would make. By the way, Jester King just kind of um, innovated this new thing where they're coming out with method, or I don't even know how to say it, method goose. It's like a appellation, basically, where it's like this was made with traditional methods. It's, you know, the right uh, malt composition. It's done the right way on the brew day. So um, turbine mash, long boil, mm-hmm. aged hops, cool ship, Spontaneous fermentation, uh, blend of, you know, various years of age, one, two, three-year-old beers. You know, that's a very specific way of making, you know, that kind of beer. 
so with the Solera beer, you know, we're kind of not, not sticking to that plan as much. It's just the basic principle is you've got a volume of beer, you remove some of it to drink, and you replace it with a new volume. And then you just continue to do that without ever emptying the vessel completely. And so you've always got some of your first batch in there. And then after your second batch, you've always got some of the second. And the culture continues to evolve over time. Um, viewing this in the context of what we're talking about with bacteria cultures getting too strong, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind when you do this. And also when you think about extended aging, you got to worry about oxygen exposure. So definitely worry about your beer becoming... Uh, having acid become too prominent in it. And even if you're not adding beer any more than yearly, you want to monitor those beers, especially because they're just going to be aging forever, right? So that you're, there's no downtime for them to be not exposed to oxygen. So uh, are we talking about mo- removing, f- like, if you could put a percentage on it, I don't know, 5% of the beer and leaving 95% in there? It's kind of whatever you want. Okay. Um, so I'd say typically it's more than 5%. Maybe it'd be more of like a... You know, two-thirds, one-third, remove two-thirds, leave one-third, or even uh, leave two-thirds, remove one-third. You know, it just depends how you want to run it. Um, and you can that can be your variable at the same time. So I'll give an example. I'm going to get an oak barrel with my homebrew club, and uh, I'm not sure if he was a homebrewer or a professional brewer, but I'll just use this as an example. Um, I'm going to brew a, you know, Brett Saison in there and just inoculate it with the mixed culture. The first amount of beer I take out, I'm going to put into a bottle, and that's my Saison uh, number one. And then I refill it with Saison that I've fermented outside of it. You could refill it with wort. You could refill it with clean beer. You could refill it with mixed culture beer, whatever you want. Again, you can take off the constraints when you're trying to make these Solera types of beers. And so just going through my example, I'm going to refill it with uh, clean Saison that I fermented in my carboy. The rest of the beer will inoculate it. I'll give it, you know, three to six months to age, and then I'll remove some of that and bottle that. And that'll be number two, and I'll keep going with that. And I've got this great lineup of yeah. beers that are going to continually not not just change in the bottle, but change batch to batch, Solera blend to Solera blend. And then I'll have to troubleshoot over time, ooh, where's this drifting too much? Mm-hmm. And if it drifts too much in one direction, I can manipulate one how much I'm removing, and two, what I'm replacing it with mm-hmm. to correct the overall blend. If you want consistency, I mean, there's going to be variability, but it's kind of, it's a really fun project to to go down. And I, I personally uh, prefer that, you know, the, the rules for this type of uh, beer making method are wide open. But if you want to look up some more traditional processes, there's that information is definitely available. And then will that allow you to achieve a sort of like house flavor or does it vary enough from pull to pull to not really, that's not really a factor? That's a definite way to get a house flavor, or at least whatever that vessel is, you get a flavor coming out of that vessel. The other thing is you can get a second oak barrel and then do a totally different process on that one mm-hmm. and then compare across Either there's the barrel differences doing the same thing, or maybe you have a different different cultures in that second barrel. You're going for something different. Um, but yeah, that's that's a great way to go about making beer. And the other good thing is we talk a lot about culture maintenance. So it's like maybe you've got these flasks of here are my breads, here's my mixed culture with bacteria. How do I keep them alive on an ongoing basis? Kind of like if you're making bread out there, and keeping your sourdough starter alive. You know, you're taking half of it out feeding it with you know 
doubling that leftover part with flour and water. And you got to do that all the time, right? With the Solera, it's always in there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to replace it. Your only maintenance is how much do you take out and what kind do you put back in. Totally. Awesome. All right, good summation. Uh, thank you for the question, Aaron. Just so you know, I am drinking a Shadows of Their Eyes from one rare barrel. Oh, hello. It's tasting fantastic. Great. Let's what do you think about that acid? Well, let's see. I'm going to take another sip. I mean, I would also say a little bit tamped down, but maybe mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm primed. It's, but I, no, it's got more acidity than forces. Definitely. For sure. Definitely more acidity than forces, but less than the last Shadows batch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tasting so. fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. Here's a question from Robbie. Robbie says, hey, guys, I love the show, uh, and I learn something every time I listen. I'm currently binge listening. It's called gang listening, Robbie, my way through the back catalog. He said, I have a question about smell versus taste. I'm the new cellar lead at Tin Roof Brewing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Congratulations. Yeah, indeed. And part of my inheritance from the last regime was 18 neglected barrels. <laughs> we recently went through uh, and tasted all the beer in the barrels. We think it was a mix of Imperial Stout and Coffee Porter barrels, but not everything was labeled. He says, we threw out the bad ones and we picked our favorites for a small blend. One of the barrels we saved after emptying had a very clean lacto-like sour. I decided to fill it again, this time with a red ale. After a week, this barrel already has a great sour aroma, but little to no tartness in the flavor. So here's the question. Do you think this is um, from the residue of the barrel or from the bacteria and the wild yeast living in the barrel? He says, I asked because it seems very quick uh, for uh, it to be the flora of the barrel, and I've never experienced such a pronounced sourness in the smell without corresponding tartness in the flavor. Not a lot of good stuff there. So first off, I'm glad he said they threw out the bad barrels. Second, the one that had soured, I'm glad he said clean lactic character. Because if you do have a cross-contamination, I hate to say this because there's a lot of problems in this area, but if you're going to have a positive cross-contamination, it's probably going to be with a clean lactic character in a beer that has a lot of malt character, which are kind of like the beers he was describing. I should caveat that with saying most of the time your cross-contaminated beers are awful and you shouldn't convince yourself that they're in a different state. Just go ahead and dump them. But I'm glad you, you know, dumped a whole bunch, but you like this one, so that's legitimate. And you want to reuse these uh, cultures that are in there. That's cool. Another interesting point you bring up is sour aroma. I know what you're talking about, but I think Lauren Salzer, I don't know if she said this on the podcast or just in person, but she's fond of saying stuff like, you can't smell sweet. Right. I don't know if she would say you can't smell sour, but you smell things that remind you of sweet and sour. Like, Scott, you just took a sniff of Shadows of the Rise. I did. And you probably smelled dark chocolate and cherries. Maybe a light hint of coffee. Yep. So exactly. two of those, well, really all of those things have acid in them. So that should smell, air quotes, sour mm-hmm. to you. Right. There's also, you know, other um, volatiles and esters and phenols that get produced in sour beer typically that this reminds you of. So while it doesn't smell sour to you particularly, you're being reminded of these components. I'm not trying to nitpick, but it's... You're worried about the difference in smell and the difference in taste. I wouldn't be too worried about it. That means, you know, the cultures are at work. Now that you know you have bacteria in there, I would deliberately add Britannomyces, unless you're really into the fact that this is like a house culture that you've, you know, stumbled upon and you want to kind of keep that story 
with it, which I can appreciate. Are you trying to get the Brett to overtake the bacteria? You don't want it to overtake the bacteria. You just want it in there to help. So if there's going to be an off flavor from the bacteria, like diacetyl production, the Brett's, the Brett's going to help you clean that up. And it's also going to protect the beer. If you're going to take lactobacillus and put it into a beer, it's not going to come to maturity quite as fast as if it was just a barrel-aged porter or something like that. Brett protects barrel-aged beers um, through its oxidative qualities and forming the pellicle and then cleaning up those off flavors. Not all off flavors, but certain off flavors. Sulfur, diacetyl, um, it's going to help with stuff like that. So I wouldn't worry about it developing acidity over time, but this gets into that warning place too where it's like, okay, beginning sour program alert and i'm doing i don't know what this is flashing lights signal with my hand right now <laughs> yeah. whatever this right. is it's like clench fist and then open hands clench fist yeah open warning hands. warning right yeah. uh <laughs> a lot of people don't start off with strong enough bacteria and then they age it for a long time one year two years two and a half years and then it's like oh this is finally getting sour and it's because the brett and maybe some other, some other microorganisms in there are producing acetic acid. The wrong kind. That late in the game. Yeah. So you want to play that balance there. You know, you want to, are you, are you trying to start a sour program? Maybe it's more helpful to do it in a deliberate way and not let this kind of just run uh, wild. But you could also, you could go for it if you're willing to, and it seems like you are, you're willing to dump bad beer. So, um, that's an exciting start. I hope that answers the question. But yes, there can be a difference in between the smell of the beer and the taste and some uh, dissonance there. Right. For sure. And just be right. And if I'm hearing you right, it's because maybe uh, Robbie and crew are not necessarily smelling sour. They're smelling association. They're smelling some of the esters that are formed in sour beer, but the acidity just hasn't formed yet. Right. Fine. Okay. That's cool. Got it. Okay, thanks for the question, Robbie. Good luck. Uh, one last question as far as the pellicle is concerned, so this is a good time to get to Stacy Roth's question. Stacy writes in, and she says, My brewery is discussing how to expand and improve our sour beer program. The space we have to us is, as usual, less than ideal. How harmful is it to the flavor, overall appearance, and possibly the stability of a pellicle forming to disrupt the pellicle to the point that it falls back into solution immediately before packaging? The space available is currently located a quarter of a mile down the road from our production place the sour barrels uh, and totes will ferment and age there then they will be transported back to the brewery and then racked and packaged i'm yeah. concerned that the violent shaking of the barrels and totes will have a negative effect on the flavor and overall appearance yeah long term if you can get packaging the same facility that'd be great we talked just recently about moving barrels and you know stack out of barrel stacks and how temperature changes and stuff like that i think i've talked before on this show that uh, you move, we move barrels of the rare barrel, and then you know they settle back in, and then the pellicle reforms. But you're talking about moving them right before packaging, right? That I don't see as that big of a deal. Um, you're not exposing. There's not, there's not a long time for them to be exposed to oxygen, and that, and you're also kicking up a lot of CO2. We did this exact thing uh, when I was at the brewery. We were about three miles away. I was working at the, the facility you're describing, the outside sour beer facility. We transported back. I think the quality of the beer was really good there. Um, I didn't notice, uh, you know, long-term oxidation properties in those beers. But, there's, you know, there's certainly so many factors that even if you saw those properties, you wouldn't necessarily be able to trace it back to this exact process. Right. Is the other thing. There's so many variables there. So 
anecdotally, I'll say I think that's okay. But when you can work towards getting all that under one uh, one roof, uh, I would encourage you to do that sooner rather than later. Um, but you're probably working towards that anyway, so that's exciting. Yes, it is. Uh, thank you for the question, Stacy, and to all of you uh, folks who write in. Keep them coming, and we'll keep uh, the answers coming, hopefully. Cool. Should we call that a show, Scott? I think so. Let's do it. All right. We did it. Yeah, we did. Hey, that's 2016. Let's call it a wrap. That's it. High five. Yeah, baby. Couldn't see your hands, so that wasn't a great high five, that's, but that's all right. we'll work on it. That's my New Year's resolution. Better <laughs> high fives. Seems eminently doable. Thank you, Scott. You're welcome, man. For you. Good year. Thanks to you listeners for writing in with your questions. Thanks to the sponsors for letting us go another year. Until next time. Stay sour. Stay sour.